Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. What's new, Kate? What's on your mind today? I have to say, happy Nowruz. Yes, happy Nowruz to you, too. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with this day, but in case they're not, do you want to share a little about it? Yeah, so we're recording this episode on March 19th, and Nowruz, or Persian New Year, takes place tomorrow. So I just learned about this tradition from my little sister Grace and her boyfriend, who is Iranian. Nowruz comes from Zoroastrianism, which is an ancient Persian religion that predates both Christianity and Islam back 3,000 years. On the Tuesday before Nowruz is a holiday known as Shaba Kanar Shanben Suri, which translates to the Eve of Red Wednesday. On this holiday, you jump over fire, asking the fire to take away bad luck and to bless the year ahead. My sister sent videos of her and John and John's family jumping over candles laid out in a row on their floor, and I just had to share it with you because it's so beautiful. When you sent me the video a few days ago, I remember thinking that it was so sweet. I love seeing people come together and celebrate traditions from their homeland. It's really beautiful to have that connection with your roots, and it's such a nice way to show love to your ancestors. Absolutely, and thank you, John, for sending me voice notes to help me pronounce these gorgeous words. So, in the light of the new year, the equinox, and the magic of spring, I'm so excited to talk about seeds today. Yes, me too. I know that we've mentioned seeds several times so far this season. If I'm not mistaken, I might have even mentioned them in our very first episode, which was dedicated to Samhain. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was the end of harvest season when the plants were drying out and seed saving was in full swing. To me, there's definitely a crone energy when it comes to seeds, especially if we're collecting them at the end of a harvest. Most of the time, we don't sow a seed right after a plant gives it to us. We hang on to it, sometimes for several months. We store it in a cool, dark place and let it rest until planting season is upon us once more. Yeah, the crone is so patient. But then, of course, on the complete opposite end, there's the maiden aspect of a seed. Like the maiden, which we talked about in depth in episode 18, The seed appears unassuming, but is literally bursting with potential and possibility. She's ready to grow. And it wouldn't be right to talk about seeds without mentioning the mother archetype as well, because after a seed is planted and gets the perfect combination of earth, sun, and water, a plant is born. A plant that will hopefully produce fruit, flowers, or something else to make seeds of its own one day. And then the cycle continues. So I guess we can say that the seed is not maiden, mother, or crone, but all three, a triple goddess of the plant world. I love that. 
Just like the moon, seeds go through their own phases and cycles. And another moment of synchronicity here, I wrote a piece on Maiden, Mother, and Crone this week for the Magic and Alchemy blog. I just got that in my inbox yesterday, and I love this line you wrote. It says, The wise woman knows the power of transmutation. She knows the value of the shadows and of the moon slipping away into the deep of the sky. And it may have not been your intention, Kate, because I think you were talking specifically about the crone here, Mm -hmm. but it totally made me think of gardening Mm -hmm. because plants rely on certain intervals of light and dark in order to grow and produce flowers and fruit, sort of like humans, you know, depending on what's going on in our lives and what stage of growth we're in physically and spiritually, we may require more of one over the other. The triple goddess is everywhere. It's true. Pay attention whenever you see three of something. When I consider seed divination or seed magic, I first think of my childhood, when making a wish before blowing the seeds off a dandelion or plucking petals off a daisy with the iconic, they love me, they love me not, were popular games. I found a few rituals from 16th through 18th century England that reminded me of these childhood seed spells. The article I found them in, which is titled English Love Divination, explains that spellcasters would use hemp seed on St. Valentine's Day Eve to catch a glimpse of their future love. They would take a handful of hemp seed, stand in a garden or on a church porch at half past 12, set their intention, and walk home scattering the seeds, all the while singing, Hemp seed I sow, hemp seed I sow, she, or he, or they, that will be my true love, come and rake this hemp seed after me. According to this article, when the person made it home, they were to look over their shoulder, where they would see a ghostly presence raking the ground behind them, which of course would be their future sweetheart. And I suppose it's not all that surprising that seeds and wishes go hand in hand. We talk about planting seeds to grow plants, of course, and planting intentions to give life to our desires. This concept is something that I can get lost thinking about. Like, a seed is not just a seed, but also a plant. It can represent a person, an idea, the universe. It's a symbol of life in general, no matter what stage it's in. Beyond hemp seed, I read that wise women would prescribe fennel seed tea for soldiers headed into war. According to Greek lore, fennel seeds were believed to offer courage and stamina for the battles that lie ahead. Another tale I came across said that, during medieval times, people would insert fennel seeds into keyholes and around their doors to prevent ghosts from entering. And then, of course, there's the pomegranate seed, perhaps the most famous seed of all, at least in Greek and Roman myth. It was this seed, or several actually, that Persephone ate while she was in the underworld. This seemingly innocent act was a nod to sexual maturity and her initiation into adulthood, which sealed her fate as queen of the underworld part-time and part-time goddess of spring. Kate, does seed magic show up in any of your favorite folktales or legends? It's funny, I actually am reminded of the mustard seed myth, which is really more in the Christianity realm of things. 
I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before, but I grew up Presbyterian with an amazing pastor named Seth who actually honored my witchy self. And one of the stories I remember talking about um, is the mustard seed. Mustard seeds are mentioned several times throughout the Bible as a symbol of faith, and though this is a symbol of faith in Christianity, it's also known to represent good luck in the secular community. So I think as a kid, I actually had a mustard seed necklace. I love mustard seed. I always have it on hand for cooking, but also for its protective qualities. Mm. And Well, not exactly a seed. I can't help but also remember Jack and the Beanstalk, the story where Jack, a poor country boy, trades the family cow for a handful of magic beans, which grow into an enormous beanstalk reaching up into the clouds. One of my favorite tales. Mm -hmm. And there's also Johnny Appleseed from American folktales. Johnny Appleseed was a man who traveled around the country with nothing but the clothes on his back, a cooking pot on his head, and hands full of apple seeds. He threw apple seeds wherever he went so that apple trees would grow up behind him and produce apples for others to eat. This is another great story, and it makes me think of the proverb, A society grows great when people plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. That gave me truth bumps. (laughs) (laughs) I also found some really interesting folk tales about the importance of where you plant things. So there are many superstitions about what you should plant in the garden and where. Uh, Plant elder and bay near the house to protect from evil. Plant ladies' mantle that will gather dewdrops with magical properties. Plant foxgloves near your home to stave off bad luck. And plant house leaks on your roof to protect your house from lightning. I really enjoy discovering, you know, partially forgotten folklore and uncovering these ancient rituals involving seed magic. Because as evident by these stories, the seed can be so many different things, and it's really beautiful and insightful to read about people's interpretations of something that's been around since the dawn of time. But then there's also the part of me, I think the practical gardener side, that wants to say all this seed divination talk is really fun and interesting. I love it. It has merit. I could talk about it all day. But let's not forget that seeds are more than symbolic representations of archetypes and abilities. They are also necessary for our survival. When we take a walk in a park or visit a botanical garden or shop at the local farmer's market, it's helpful to remind ourselves that all this is possible because of some seeds. As somebody who strives to grow all the produce that they consume, which I'm currently still working on, I think caring for a home garden, no matter the size, is something that makes us reflect on our relationship and reliance on the things we plant, literally and metaphorically. And sometimes I wonder why that is. There's the obvious reason of energy flows where attention goes. So if you're spending a good chunk of time sowing seeds and nurturing plants, that's something that will naturally be on your mind. But I also think that for some of us, when we work with seeds and plants, we likely drift off into some sort of active meditation. We may not be stationary, but we'll likely be quiet or at least more muted than normal. 
which is great because just like when we meditate to communicate with the spirit world, silence is the realm in which plants speak. And I don't always mean speak in the traditional sense, but messages are sent and it's up to us to recognize and interpret them. It's difficult to pin down exactly what it is I find so endearing about seed magic or why I feel so drawn to work with them. I think sometimes I feel as if seeds bridge this gap between the spiritual and physical worlds and also the logical, practical component of myself with the side that's away with the fairies. (laughs) I also believe that there's a good chance that seed magic was one of the first forms of magic out there. Not because it's more special than anything else, but likely because it was available. Our ancestors used what they had, and they didn't always have money to buy new ritual tools and whatnot, but they likely had seeds and knew where to find them throughout the year. I love that perspective. I think it's really beautiful. And I also feel like part of your relationship with seeds is so special because all of the work that you do with your land in the Azores. So I just want to acknowledge how much time and energy you put there and how amazing I think it is. That means so much. Thank you. I often feel like an outsider here because I am in many ways, but forging a connection with the lands and native plants definitely gives me a sense of belonging I also think the elders around here appreciate it because Azorians have a very close bond with nature, which is something I really admire. Yeah, I guess this kind of brings up the differences between our landscapes, right? Like the seeds that I plant in my city apartment are much different. Like my most successful plants in my yard here are poisonous or have just kind of volunteered. I have four o'clocks and planted datura. I have walls of ivy in the summer and a giant mugwort plant. I have had a really hard time growing anything else here because there's no earth really in the backyard other than cement. And there's really intense sunlight and intense shade from the tall buildings around. So it's been kind of an interesting process of planting, but ultimately plants have shown up and thrived here from seeds. And that's been a great teacher. I just didn't really choose them. They chose me, which makes me laugh. Also, most of my houseplants were given to me over the years as people moved and left New York City. So some of my favorite are from my friend Hannah, including this giant thriving fig tree in my bedroom. And it has a personality all its own. (laughs) Fig trees are so magical. It's definitely a plant that has deep roots in mythology and folklore. Has it given you any fruit yet? No, but here's hoping. (laughs) Yes, just give it time. Yeah, I I wanted to take a bit of time to talk about the symbol of the seed, primarily seeds in the forms of acorns. I wasn't going to take this approach to my seed storytelling today until I was at the home of Robin Rose Bennett on Tuesday for the first day of my Greenwich apprenticeship. We walked through the woods after spending all day outside in the still 28-degree spring. 
When we got to the forest, we took a moment of silence before crossing into the threshold, and then we came to this magnificent oak tree. There were acorns all over the ground, and I was thinking about acorns as seeds, as nourishment, as little fruits from the tree that wildlife can carry off to plant somewhere else. So Robin Rose prompted me, asking me if there was a poem I might have once written about an acorn, and I remembered it fully. It's not a poem I've ever recited out loud, but it was as if, through a wrinkle in time, my eight-year-old self showed up to recite a poem. And there's the old proverb that says, Mighty oaks from little acorns grow. And though it may be a little corny, I think the sentiment of it is something really beautiful and something we can reflect on in our own growth and practices. We speak pretty often about beginning things, and the oak teaches us that we must start somewhere. The sort of connection to my own inner child, my history, and my ancestry reminded me of that. When I was on writing residency in the fall at Sundress Academy for the Arts and staying in that chicken coop in the holler, I know that I mentioned this in an earlier episode when we spoke about spiders, but one night I was pretty scared, alone, and in the dark in the woods, and I remember at dusk finding this acorn when I was hiking up on the ridge and taking it back with me after asking the forest for its permission. I kept it on my windowsill and took it home with me, and now it's here on my desk. I think oak teaches us strength in that way. It's a patient strength. It's doing the hard thing strength. I have a lot of gratitude for this tree, and stories about oak have been around for centuries. An article I found stated in Greek mythology, oak was sacred, and Roman goddess Diana is often depicted wearing a garland of acorns around her neck. Norse legend has Thor sheltering from a thunderstorm in the shadow of a towering oak. To the Celts, oak was a storehouse of wisdom and strength. And indeed, the Latin name Quercus is thought to derive from the Celtic word meaning fine tree. For the Druids, oak was holy. Oak was considered king. Wands were made from its wood. Oak galls, or serpent eggs, were used in charms and sometimes worn or even used to create ink. I have to say, using trees and seeds to create ink is a true word witch activity, and I think we have to try it out. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Additionally, acorns gathered at night were said to be potent fertility charms, and magical practitioners listened to the rustling of oak leaves in divinatory practices. I also couldn't help but think about that song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. I remember my mom singing it growing up, but it's a song by Tony Orlando and Dawn. Dolly Parton has also covered it. If you're not familiar, traditionally tying a yellow ribbon around an oak signals welcoming a loved one home after war or imprisonment. So even into modern Americana, we've kept some of these traditions, all of this from a small acorn. That's where it all begins. Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate seed spells and divination and magic in your craft? I probably incorporate them in more ways than I realize, but right now I've been using them to help me plant small daily intentions. We're sowing a lot of seeds right now, both indoors and outdoors, trying to rev up our spring garden. So as I'm in the greenhouse mixing soil and prepping trays, I'm thinking about what seeds I'm planting, what properties are associated with that plant, and what goals or intentions I have that carry that same energy. 
And then as I physically put the seeds in the earth, there's a conversation that happens and what feels like an acknowledgement. I also talk to my seeds and plants all the time because gardening is very ritualistic for me. What about you? I am so interested in how seed magic varies from one place to another. Like I sort of mentioned earlier, it's been kind of an interesting version of seed magic here in my apartment. I've really wanted to grow sunflowers, but was having trouble with that. Um, I have some Datura seeds still left over that I've been thinking about using in a ritual yet. I also feel like this apprenticeship in green witchery is going to guide me to this next sort of phase or experience with green magic. Something that I do really love is the idea of tucking an intention, like a written intention, into your house plant. So it's a way to work with plants that are already cohabitating with you and ask them to support your seeds and offer up your dreams and ideas in the spirit of growth. That's a really beautiful idea. What would you say to our listeners who long to work with seeds and plants, but insist they lack a green thumb? I just spoke to a friend about this the other day, but I feel like to connect with a plant spirit, you don't have to grow it yourself. You can just go out in nature and have a great chat. Like you were talking about meditating with the plants. Um, I left an offering for a cedar tree this week, and she talked to me about strength and steadiness, and I think meditations like this can just be so great. You know, maybe you connect in with an acorn or another seed spirit in the wild. I just saw some beginnings of some nettles in the earth, which are also a favorite of mine. You can also try working with them in tea or infusion or a tincture, and that can be a great way to work with plants. Um, If you move around a lot, don't have space, light, or just can't grow things. You could also put some seeds on your altar. I've never done this personally, but it did come to my mind. What do you think, Kristen? I love all these ideas, and I agree that there are plenty of hardy plants like nettle and dandelions that grow wild and are considered weeds by many, but are so nourishing to our bodies. So I think if you live somewhere woodsy or want to get out of the city for a weekend, Organizing a walk with an experienced forager is a really great way to work with plants and bolster your confidence. Mm -hmm. I also always tell people to buy succulents. Most of the time, they do best with little intervention from us. You know, water them once a week, maybe even once every two weeks or three, and they're happy as can be. But I think working with seeds is like anything, right? Practice makes perfect. When we first moved to the Azores and had all this land for the first time, we wanted to plant everything. Fruit trees, strawberries, root vegetables, we did it all. But of course not everything survived, and I remember very clearly we had planted corn, our first time ever planting corn, and my husband's uncle came over and basically told us we were doing it all wrong, that we had planted oh, it too no. close together. And so he started ripping up the stalks, which were as tall as us by that point. And we said, no, you know, no, no, no. Even if we <laughs> did it wrong, this is like school for us. We want to see what happens. You know, what does the corn look like? Is it really small or is it full grown, but with hardly any kernels? It may look like a gardening failure to some, but it's just a lesson from the plants, and next season, we'll know better. So I guess that was a long way of saying that, you know, whatever you do, just don't be scared to try. 
I know that seeds are something that Tamed Wild often puts in their boxes for the monthly rituals, which I love, because so many of us are visual people. We need to see to believe. And I think assigning a goal or intention to a seed during ritual and then seeing it sprout is really validating. No matter how many seeds we plant, it's so rewarding each time they sprout. It never loses its magic. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk with a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.